Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we thank you for what we have uh, already experienced uh, this morning, the, uh, the singing, the, uh, the psalms, the, the praying, and we come now to your word. And we ask that uh, your word that gives life will give us life, renew us, and lead us to joy. In the name of Jesus, amen. So friends, go ahead and turn with me to your Bibles. We're looking this morning at Romans chapter 7 and verses 21 to 25. You'll find it right there in the Pew Bible in front of you, and you also find it in the worship uh, folder. It's uh, great this morning to have a proper accent. Uh, I am Australian too, really. At least sometimes people have accused me of that. It's wonderful to have sons of Korah with us. They're back here tonight. Uh, Let me again encourage you to come to that. Now, as you look down the passage in front of you, uh, a simple way to get a handle on what we'll be looking at this morning is to notice that there are two exclamation marks. And pretty much what we will be doing is moving from one exclamation mark to the other. So let's hear God's word. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells In my members, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh. I serve the law of sin. Uh, There's a uh, famous TED talk. Have you heard of uh, TED talks? They're not talks by a man named TED. They are fairly well-known, brief uh, descriptions, presentations from experts about various topics. And there's a particularly famous TED talk. You can look it up online afterwards. And in this TED talk, uh, the person, the speaker, describes what it is that makes certain companies, certain businesses succeed and others not. And what he says is that uh, a typical business starts with its communication with what or how. Um, But actually, the truly great companies start with their communication with not what or how, but why. The example he uses is Apple. So he says, Apple don't say this. They don't communicate this way. They don't say, we make great computers that are aesthetically pleasing. Do you want one? That's not how they communicate. Instead, what Apple does is they say this. We believe that as we think differently, we will change the world. 
And the way we do that is by making great computers that are aesthetically pleasing. Would you like one? And it changes our approach to what uh, we are being presented with. In other words, the speaker argues they start with why. Well, in our passage today, Paul goes one level deeper. He doesn't start with what or with how. So when he, here in this passage, he's carrying on this sharing with, you remember this fellow Christian, he's got his arm around them and he's sharing what's really going on in the apostle's life. He, he's still talking about this here. And uh, what Paul doesn't do is he says, you know, I, I struggle with sin, therefore what I must do is stop sinning. Paul doesn't do that here. Nor does he say, look, I, I struggle with sin and therefore this is how to stop sinning. And nor even does he go to why. He doesn't say, look, these are my motivations and all that. Actually, Paul goes one level deeper. He starts not with what, how, or why, but with who. So as you look down at these verses with me, I think you'll see, pretty simply, they're structured like a sandwich. And the meat in the pie, or in the sandwich, is uh, verses 24 and 25. And surrounding that central meat of the passage is a summary of what Paul taught previously that we looked at last week. Now, here's what we could do the next half an hour or so. We could spend... You know, I could spend a lot of time recapping what he means by some of these technical words, you know, law, members, the flesh. I could spend the next half hour describing all these different ways that Paul uses law, members, the flesh, and that would be really fun for me. Um, but we've already looked at that in previous sermons, so let me encourage you to go listen to them and or get the transcripts that we make available. This morning, I want to focus on the central meat of the passage. So as I say, this passage is structured around a summary introduced with so, verse 21, and then returning the second half of verse 25, so, and then right in the middle is the peroration, the exaltation. That leads us out of chapter 7 and on to the declaration of assurance that we will get to in chapter 8. Here is what Paul is saying. My dear brother, when you struggle with sin, don't start with what or how. First ask, who? Then give thanks. And so here's the picture again. We have that picture of Paul with his arm around a fellow Christian. Well, it's a continuation of the same chapter. So in a sense, his arm is still around that fellow Christian. But now the mental picture moves from one exclamation mark of wretchedness to the other exclamation mark as he asks who he looks out. A smile comes on his face as he asks first who and then give thanks. First ask who. Look at verse 24. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? 
So there's Paul. He's looking at his fellow Christian. He's summarizing what he's been saying about himself. And in summary, it is, I'm wretched. As we saw last week, my own interpretation of this passage is that Paul is describing his own experience as a Christian. Sometimes people say, you know, talking this way about yourself, wretched, is so negative. Why would you do that? The reason why you would do that is because, as one great Puritan said, unless sin be bitter, Christ be not sweet. So easy to fool ourselves about who we really are, isn't it? And not understand what it means to be still in this body of death. Here's one excerpt from correspondence between Auschwitz, the concentration camp, and IG Faber chemical plants. In contemplation of experiments with the new soporific drug, we would appreciate you providing for us a number of women. First, correspondence. We received your answer, but consider the price of 200 marks a woman excessive. We prepare to pay not more than 170 marks a head. Second, correspondence. We acknowledge your accord. Prepare for us 150 women in the best possible health conditions. Third correspondence. Receive the order of 150 women. Despite their emaciated condition, they were found satisfactory. Last correspondence. The tests were made. All subjects died. We shall contact you shortly on the subject of a new load. So easy to fool ourselves. I know none of us here are in concentration camps right now. And yet it's easy to pretend. And there is Paul saying about himself as an apostle, wretched. And he turns his face from looking at this fellow Christian, and now he looks out and he says, given this reality, who will deliver me? And by the way he asks that question, he teaches a great truth about dealing with sin in our own lives. You see, Paul does not ask what. That's an easy question to ask. What do I need to do? Well, the answer is I need to do the right thing. It's easy, huh? Stop sinning. But it's not so easy, is it? Nor does Paul go to the how answer. Well, that's more helpful. And, of course, the Bible does tell us at times how to avoid temptation. But Paul goes deeper He doesn't even go just to why. Again, that can be helpful. What are the motivations that I need to bring into line with the beauty of the truth of the Bible? But Paul goes 
deeper in this, his confessions. It's very similar to Augustine in his famous confessions. Like Paul, Augustine went deeper. Augustine famously said, Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. So there's Paul with his arm around his fellow Christian, and he's looking out, and he's asking, Who? It's about a person not a technique. Now, as we listen to this gospel message, we have to acknowledge to each other that there are various cultural narratives in our own time that are developing that make it particularly hard for us to hear this. They are these two. It used to be that the main barrier to hear this gospel message was the cultural narrative of moralism. So people would say to themselves, I don't need rescuing, I'll figure it out for myself. Or they'd say, well, people are basically good and so they don't need this kind of radical rescue, deliverance. You still find some of that moralism around, but it's becoming harder and harder to sustain these days with all the news about terrorism and ever since 9-11, our culture more and more resonates, even with what the author Stephen King said about the horror-writing genre with Zombie Nation and The Walking Dead and all these stories of horror. Stephen King said this, We make up horrors to help us cope with the real ones. And so people know these days there are real ones. There's enough news about in politics or world events or even in religious areas. And you know the kind of things to which I refer. And so more often these days we move to cynicism. You hear about those senior executives at FIFA, the football organization, arrested by the FBI. You hear about this or that scandal, and you just get cynical. There is no solution. But what Paul is doing here is neither moralism nor cynicism. He's coming alongside this person, and he is sharing about who he is as truly wretched in order to first ask who will rescue him. Now, I acknowledge it's really pretty simple. It's also, I think, really pretty profound. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And the moralist will say, I don't need the blood of Jesus. And the cynical will say, whatever you're trying to sell me, I don't buy it. And Paul comes along and says, okay, but how about at least understanding that I am wretched as he shares openly? I remember when I was uh, first on pastoral staff and had been at church in another country for about a year and I was standing in the pulpit giving the announcements or 
something like that. And I got to know the congregation. I'd been there for about a year, and I remember looking out at the people there. And as I looked out, the thought entered my head, there is not a single person here who is not in pain. Same is true this morning. You know, I found pastorally it really doesn't matter what someone looks like on the outside. The most successful people are often actually the most broken people. Why do you think they get up at 4 a.m. in the morning every day and keep on working and working and working? You think they do it because they like it? They are driven by some pain. The proud person, (laughs) he's often compensating. Someone he needs to impress, and often it is himself. He goes around telling everyone that he's so great because actually he does not believe it himself. And what Paul says is, I'm wretched. And then he turns and first asks, Who? It's personal. And then give thanks. So there's Paul. His face is now upwards and outwards. His arm's still around his dear brother. His finger pointing up. Verse 25. Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Him. Him. Oh, that I had the gift of Shakespeare, the passion of Whitfield, the good humor of Spurgeon, the rhetoric of Churchill, the profundity of Edwards, the anointing of Billy Graham, the wholeness of Hudson Taylor, just for this one moment to tell you about this one person. Jesus, that we might give thanks, but I do not. It is only me. I am wretched, too. I struggle, too, like Paul. Listen to how Jonathan Edwards put this dynamic which we are entering into now as we talk not about a technique, but about a person. The main benefit that is obtained by preaching is not the recollection afterwards of all the information Edwards described, but the impression made upon the mind in the time of it. Right now. John Piper put it like this. A bored and unenthusiastic tour guide in the Alps contradicts and dishonors the majesty of the mountains. Him! The great Baptist preacher W.A. Criswell said this, You cannot read the New Testament without sensing that the preachers were electrified by the power of the gospel and swept off their feet by the wonder of the great revelation 
in which had been committed to their trust. It's all leading to this point. All this section, chapters 5 to 7, is leading to this point. You've got a Bible open, look down with me at chapter 5, verse 1. There's a, there's a drumbeat throughout this section, keeping the music of the gospel in time. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 5, verse 11. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Chapter 5, verse 21. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Then chapter 7, verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. From one exclamation mark to the other. The person of Jesus who is real, who is here by his Spirit. First ask who, then give thanks. And you say to me, Pastor, that's all very well, but you don't know what I'm going through. I agree with you that gratitude is a worthy ambition, but the reality is with all the circumstances in my life, it is an impossible burden to be asked to give thanks. Well, I don't know what you're going through, but it reminds me of the great commentator Matthew Henry from the 18th century, one of the greatest popular commentators ever given to the church, he wrote once in his private diary these words reflecting on his experience of being robbed. <laughs> Let me be thankful, he wrote, first because I was never robbed before. Second, although they took my purse, they did not take my life. Third, because though they took my all, it was not much. And fourth, because it was I who was robbed, not I who robbed. Maybe you have been cheated, but it was not you who did the cheating. And so there's Matthew Henry's example of some hooks and some practical ways to be grateful. But Paul here goes deeper. Who? 
Who? Him. This was discovered on the wall of a concentration camp. After it had been liberated, I don't know whether it was Auschwitz or another concentration camp, but these words were discovered written on the wall of a concentration camp. I believe in the sun, even though it doesn't shine. I believe in love, even when it isn't shown. I believe in God, even when he doesn't speak. How can you do that? How is that possible? It's, it's him. It's not a technique. It's him. The Psalms can really help us with this. We heard from one already this morning. Here's another Psalm 48, verse 1. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. So great thanksgiving comes from a great vision of God. Our joyful gratitude will never extend higher than our circumstances that shift with the shifting tides of our emotions and of our surroundings. Our joyful gratitude will never extend higher than the turning tides of fortune unless we have a pervasive vision of the majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there's Paul with his arm around the fellow Christian, his other arm pointing up with a smile on his face, and now they're both fixing their eyes upon Jesus. And then Paul turns back to look at his friend and concludes this section in a way that I never would have concluded it if I had been writing it. Look how he concludes. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Well, thanks very much, Paul. How encouraging. Why does he end like this? So, he says, turning back to his friend, still wrestling, still struggling. Still fighting, not giving up. He still loves He still wants us, and he will deliver us finally on that day when he returns. First ask who, then give thanks. 
Let us pray. Our Lord, we know that uh, your word tells us what to do, and we are grateful. It tells us to obey you, and we know we must. Lord, your word also tells us in many places how to do this. Gives us practical instruction about fleeing temptation and focusing our mind on the right things and being those who do not give up meeting together and reading your word daily and many other how answers. And Lord, we know your word also uh, addresses the why question speaks of the motivations of our hearts. And so we thank you for all this instruction in your word, but this morning we come to a deeper level with who? Our Lord, you are here now. And as the cry of our hearts goes up to you from our own personal wretchedness. We say, who will deliver us? Lord, would you hear that cry? Would you, Jesus, rescue and give us strength to keep on serving you this day and so give thanks for we pray it in that name of Jesus Amen